So one of the most important things you can do in life is be aware of the situation you're in and have a proper understanding of that situation. Because when we don't have a proper understanding of the situation we're in, we tend to make foolish mistakes and take a foolish course of action. Whereas if we know our situation, we can make wise choices. I'm, as you know, bivocational, and a lot of my illustrations come from teaching, my other profession, and this one comes from that as well. Uh, So every year, inevitably, I have students who are failing my class. And I was thinking back to this spring, especially like late spring, early winter, I was going to students who were failing and saying, you are failing. If you do not change what you're doing, you're going to have to retake this class in the summer or again next fall because you'll be repeating freshman year or something to that effect. One student in particular stuck out because he's like, I'm only failing by two points. I'm like, yes, but it doesn't matter that it's only by two points. Like, you are failing. If you're still failing by two points at the end of this year, you're going to be taking my class again. And his response was something to the effect of, relax. It's not like I'm failing by ten points. It's only two points. All right? Mr. Colburn. I wish they called me Mr. Colburn. It's, Mr. Mr. Relax. I'm going to pass. I had another student who was failing not only my class, but a couple other classes. And about February, when we all the teachers were going around, he realized the situation he was in. And he wasn't failing my class by like one or two points. He was about 10 percentage points below passing. And he said, something has to change, or I'm going to be repeating ninth grade again. And this student had very limited English capabilities. Uh, Spanish was his, is his original language. That's what he speaks fluently in, and here he has all his classes in English. And he knew it was going to take an extra amount of effort. So he stayed after school, he worked with his teachers a lot, and when it came time for the final at the end of the year, that student passed. He actually got a 75% on my final, a nice solid C, which, hey, when you're starting you know, down in the 50s for the rest of the year, a C is a great improvement. He passed my class because he knew the situation he was in. That other student, who was only failing by two points the whole year, was still failing by two points when it came to the end of the school year. And he will be taking biology, whether he ended up taking it this summer or he'll take it again in the fall. He's going to take it again because he just did not realize the seriousness of the situation he was in. I want to tell you that it is vitally important that we understand our situation before God. If we don't have a proper assessment of that, then we are not going to make the choices we need to make in life to be pleasing to God, to be right with God. If you'll turn with me to Luke 18, 9 through 14, we're continuing. Uh, this is the second sermon in our parable series that we're going through this summer. So it's Luke 18, 9 through 14. He, being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we have these two characters. We've been introduced to them over the past month, month and a half or so in different sermons. Uh, A couple weeks ago we had Matt Cruz in here preaching and he introduced us to the Pharisee. The Pharisee was the religious leader of the time and he was super legalistic, not only in his own life, but in looking at other people's lives. So you will hear us say grace, grace to each other in this church when people slip up. There is no grace, grace coming out of the mouth of a Pharisee. He is all about works and he is not about grace at all. On the other hand, you have the tax collector. Tax collectors were despised. They're still despised, right? Nobody likes the IRS. All right, no one's happy to hear from them ever. You know, there's been a scam going around where they're calling, people are calling, claiming to be the IRS. And as soon as people get that call, it strikes fear in their heart because nobody wants to hear from the IRS. Nobody wanted to hear from a tax collector back then either. They were known for uh, calculating a tax rate that was a little high and then taking a little off the top, lying their own pockets. These guys are not well-liked. They're considered scum. They are sinners. So you have two very different people here. The Pharisee who everyone would look at and say, that is a righteous man. And you have the tax collector on the other side who everyone would say, that guy is a filthy sinner. And they pray two very, very different prayers. The thing about the Pharisee's prayer is it's probably true. Like, he probably is fasting twice a week, and he would make sure you knew about it. Because when they're fasting, they're like cinching that belt down tighter, you know, look, I'm losing weight, I'm fasting so much. When they got something to tithe off of, they announced it, they made sure that you knew they were going to be doing that tithe. What he's praying is not untrue. He's probably not an adulterer or an extortioner. This prayer is probably a true prayer. But that does not make it a good prayer. This is a terrible prayer. This is a prayer of self-justification. The Pharisee is standing before God saying, look what I have done for you, God. Not what you have done for me. Look what I have done for you. You should be pleased with me. People around me should be impressed with me. The tax collector, on the other hand, his prayer is totally different. His prayer is, be merciful on me, a sinner. His prayer comes from a place where he knows he can't impress God. He knows instead that he has to have God's mercy. Because all his actions have said, I am a sinner. I'm not justified before God. Those two prayers come from vastly different hearts. Very, very different hearts. You have one heart on this side that is convinced of its own righteousness. 
And you have the heart on the other side that is convinced of its own sinfulness. And it's only this heart over here that is right. That is the only place to be. See, the problem for the Pharisee is he's using the wrong standard. His standard is what? The standard's other men. That's what he says, right? I thank you, God, that I am not like these other men. That's the standard he's using. And that's a pretty easy standard to use, and it's often a standard we like to use. Right? Oh, maybe I'm sinful in this area, but I'm not like that guy or that woman. I do this, but I don't do that. Therefore, I'm better. The funny thing is, everybody I know does this. Uh, I worked with a guy who had just gotten out of prison for 20 years for second-degree murder. And as I'm working with him and getting to know him, every story about jail was about how those he was in jail with were worse than he was. Like he was using other men as a standard to make his crime seem not that bad. Like, dude, you murdered somebody. Like that, you know, everybody else is going, this is crazy you trying to justify yourself by looking at the standard of other criminals. But we do that as well. We use the wrong standard. People look at other people and say, this is the standard. Okay, I see what other people do. I am better than that. The problem with using the wrong standard is that the results of using the wrong standard are disastrous. If anybody knows about Air Canada Flight 143, this flight occurred uh, almost 40 years ago. Yeah, almost 40 years ago. Um, but it was right when North America is going through the met, converting from a standard measurement to metric measurements, um, and especially in the aviation in industry. Uh, so as we know, everybody else uses metric. The United States still using standard conversions. Uh, but back then, the conversion was just happening. And these Air Canada pilots were flying from Ottawa to Edmonton. And you, when you fly, you actually calculate your fuel by weight. Um, and so they did measurements. Unfortunately, the electronic measurements in the plane weren't working, so they were having to do these calculations by hand. Um, and they were doing the calculations. When they were doing the calculations, they thought the standard they were using was kilograms, which uh, one kilogram is about 2.2 pounds. But in reality, they were doing the calculations in pounds. And so when they thought they had enough fuel, they actually had about half the fuel they needed because they were using the wrong standard by which they were measuring. So guess how far that plane made it before it ran out of fuel? About halfway. I'm thankful to say that the pilots were very skilled. They were able to land this plane, which is either a 747 or a 767. I can't remember. But it's a big plane, right? A wide-body plane. Uh, they were actually able to land it in an airfield in the middle of nowhere in Canada. Nobody was hurt. But that could have been an absolute disaster, all because they were using the wrong standard of measurement. So I want to encourage us today to not use the wrong standard of measurement when we are evaluating ourselves and our standing before God. The standard is not other people. Hey, and that's big in our society. Basically, 
you know, if you're not the lowest of the low, we've really lowered the standards in society for what a good person is. They get lower every year, I feel like. But basically, you know, we've got it to the point where if you're not a mass murderer or rapist or something to that effect, you're a good person and you're okay. But that's the wrong standard. That is not God's standard. God's standard is perfection. It's not one slip-up or two slip-ups. It is perfection. We read in Romans 3.23, and I'm going to read this whole passage later, but I just want to hit Romans 3.23 real quick. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the standard to which we are held. A sinless perfection. But all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So think about now the Pharisee's prayer versus the tax collector's prayer. The Pharisee is up there proud of himself because he's using the wrong standard. In fact, he's not even aware of his needs for God, his need for God's mercy, because he is using the wrong standard. So do not do that to yourself today. Do not sit there and go, I'm basically a good person, therefore I'm okay before God. I can identify with you if you are in that situation because that was me for most of my life. I was a good kid growing up, right? I even went to church every Sunday. It was mostly because my parents made me, but I went to church every Sunday. I didn't do what other kids were doing for the most part. Everybody told my parents, you have such a great son. And my brother was the same way. Like, your boys are awesome boys. They are always doing the right thing. They're always kind. They're always helpful. They're always a good kid. So I walked around thinking that of myself. That I didn't need God's mercy. That I was good with God because I was a good kid. I did all the right things. Slipped up here and there, sure but I'm mostly a good kid, right? Maybe I drank underage once or twice, or maybe I was mean to somebody once or twice, but it wasn't a practice for me to do that, so therefore, I was good. God loved me. I was set. So that goes on until I'm 18 years old, and I'm in college. And in college... I go to church like, you know, I got to check off my religious duty, right? Keep that good status. So I go to church. And the first Sunday in church in college, I'm like, man, something hit me. It wasn't really the sermon. It was after the sermon when we were getting ready for communion and we were supposed to be judging ourselves before we were taking communion. And it suddenly hit me that I was judging myself according to me and I didn't really know how to judge myself according to God's standard. So my prayer was pretty simple. It was, God, judge me according to your standard. And he let me know what it was. Like I felt the Holy Spirit hit me and convict me that my faith was not in Jesus, that it was in me, that it was in my good works, that it was in that I was better than everybody else around me. And that therefore, because that's what my faith was in, I was not justified before God. So I'm 
in my whole life, I've been a very emotional guy. Usually that emotion comes out as anger. Nickname was Angry Redhead Dave at one point. A lot of Daves growing up. I was Angry Redhead Dave. At this point, the emotion comes out just weeping. So 18-year-old college kid in a mostly college-driven church surrounded by my peers. I'm not angry. I'm crushed because I realize my standing before God for the first time. That I am a sinner in need of God's mercy. And I've got to be honest with you, that is the place you have to come to to come to faith in Jesus. You cannot be like the Pharisee and have faith in Jesus because you're going to be justifying yourself and think you're all set. You have to get to the point where you know that those things do not make up for your sin. All your good works, those are just what you were supposed to be doing to start with. They cannot make up for your sin before a perfect and holy God. You have to be at the place of the tax collector where you're on your knees saying, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, God. You must be at that place to come to faith in Jesus. I'm going to read all of Romans, well, not all of Romans 3, but Romans 3, 21 through 28 now. Romans 3, 21 through 28. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You see, you cannot be saved and be like the Pharisee. Because it is not by our works that we are saved. You cannot do enough good to impress God. What are you going to do before God one day? I did all of this! Look how awesome I am! God, who created everything, who sent His Son Jesus, God the Son coming down, who did actually live a perfect life, how are you going to stand before Him and boast? You can't. Our boasting is excluded, it says. You cannot be in this situation. And I bring that up because sometimes after we become Christians, we can lose sight of that. We get on fire for God. We're doing all these amazing things for God. And we start to look at other Christians and be like, 
Why are you doing that, man? And we start to get self-righteous about our works and treat others with contempt, which is exactly what this is warning against. We become almost like that Pharisee. As you start to mature though in your faith, you realize that what you are doing for God is purely out of a response of what He has already done for you. And you start to not boast about it anymore and you don't look on others with contempt, but rather you encourage them to start doing the same. Because as you mature, you realize that all that we do is out of a response for what God has done for us first in Jesus. My Uncle Ed is one of the kindest souls you will ever meet. Uh, he's my dad's oldest brother. My dad is number five out of eight. My dad and his twin together are number five and six out of eight. Uh, and Ed, being the oldest brother and them being the next boys in line, Ed often had to take on a father role. My grandfather worked three jobs to support those eight kids. And so things like fishing often fell to my Uncle Ed. And my Uncle Ed was a good fisherman, and he would take my dad and his twin out to go fishing. So Ed would cast his line out there up in the mountains, and he'd start to reel. And when he got a fish on the line, he wouldn't react at all. And he'd start to reel that fish in, and then he'd hand it off to my dad or his twin brother. And they'd reel in, and of course they'd realize there was a fish on the line. And he'd be like, oh, I caught a fish! I caught a fish! Look! Look at me! I caught a fish! And they'd get super excited about it, right? Well, then my dad grew up, and he realized I wasn't catching those fish. Ed was catching those fish, and he was letting me reel it in. I really wasn't that good of a fisherman. And I want to let you know that our walk of faith is the same way. Like, we aren't the fishermen, really. We're doing things out of response to what God has already done in our lives and what He is doing in other lives. And we are lucky enough, blessed enough, really, to be there and have God working through us. But we're really the little kids who are reeling in a fish that's already caught. We're not doing it on our own. We don't have a place to boast before God of our works. So I want to address the congregation here in kind of three parts. The first is if you're finding yourself most identifying with the Pharisee in this parable. Because that's who the parable is really written to. It's to those who are convinced of their own righteousness, it said, and treat others with contempt. So maybe you're not as harsh on others because it's definitely not in to be harsh on others right now. But you, you're here, so what I mean by maybe identifying with the Pharisees is that you're convinced of your own goodness. You are in here today saying, I'm a good guy or a good woman, and therefore I'm right with God. Please take this warning. Take what we hear here in the parable. That you are not righteous in and of yourself. You're not justified by your works. And you can never be. So if that is you, I urge you, repent of that attitude. Become like the tax collector before God, knowing your need for His mercy. Repent of your sin. Repent of your self-justification. Cry out to God for His mercy that He has offered 
through His Son Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus' sacrifice in His work on the cross. Stop placing your faith in your own good works because they are nothing before God. Place your faith for your salvation, for your justification in Jesus. Now, if you say, I'm definitely not the tax collector, or uh, excuse me, I'm definitely not the Pharisee, I'm more like the tax collector, but maybe you're feeling that your sin is too great, that what you've done in your past is too much, do not believe that lie. That is a lie. That is not the truth. Jesus died on the cross for sins. Your sins, whatever they were. Stop carrying the burden. Be like the tax collector. Call out to God for mercy. Place your faith in His Son Jesus. Receive that grace. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the shame. You are not called to hold on to that. Jesus came to the cross to take it from you. If you've already had your tax collector moment where you have cried out to God for mercy, where you have placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for your justification, then this morning, your response is to praise God. When this band gets up here, you should be singing at the top of your lungs God's praises. Don't get shy. Don't worry about those around you. Praise God. Because you couldn't save yourself. He had to save you, and He has through His Son, Jesus. Last week we had that group from Texas in here. Kids, most of them, right? And there were comments made as we were leaving, those kids out-worshipped us. Those kids did not care what you thought about them when they were in here worshiping. Because I got to spend this week with them, and I can tell you, those kids have understood from a young age that they were sinners who needed God's grace. And they were responding out of that. We should respond in the same way, praising God, totally unashamed, not held back by anything. We should be praising Him. Because we are justified before God because God acted on our behalf. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Because of that, we can boast in Him. We can boast in Him and we can love others who need the Gospel just as much as we need it. Pray with me.